Hey guys, how are you doing? How are you feeling after the last 10 laps of the 2022 Canadian Grand Prix? Yes, we had ourselves a battle between the Red Bull of Max Verstappen and the Ferrari of Carlos Sainz. It was great. It was wonderful. The Canadian crowd was out. They started getting pumped on Thursday and we had ourselves a decent 2022 Canadian Grand Prix. Hi guys, I'm Brendan Klein. I'm your host of An American F1. Welcome to our episode breaking down all that was the 2022 Canadian Grand Prix. And as we enter or exit, I should say, this race weekend, it's looking more and more clear like Max Verstappen is taking firm control of this championship battle. But nevertheless, we have a lot to break down, a lot to talk about. It was an eventful race weekend. It was a good race weekend. I think our excitement was well measured. I think that Canada truly delivered, truly Delivered a a fun race weekend and an entertaining race, even though at the beginning it might not have seemed as such. But uh, yeah, like I'm saying, this race weekend, right? So if you listen to my last podcast, I was talking about this Canadian Grand Prix and I was saying that, you know, historically this has been a fun track to see races at. Going back to, I mean, there have been races in the wet. We had the exciting finish in 2019 with the infamous five-second penalty with... uh, Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton. We had that interesting battle. We had races in the past. Remember, there was a Jensen Button coming from last, going up to first. So there's been a lot of amazing moments at this track. And honestly, I, for one, was really hyped just to see a racing back in Canada, Formula One racing back in Canada. And I think that we all pretty much were in the same page. And from what I was hearing on Twitter, the Canadian fans did their job. They were out like crazy too. They were representing everything possible. They had, uh, you know, tons of crowd, a a large crowd there on Thursday. And then, you know, for the race itself, you could tell from what I heard, there were a lot of American fans that came over, which props to the American fans for going across to Canada and seeing themselves a good race. Believe me, if I did not have to work, that was one of the races on my calendar. Maybe I'll be able to do that next year, but yeah, a lot I want to talk about. So One of the first things going into this race was, I think, the wet weather that we had on Saturday, which was our first real inkling that maybe, just maybe, there could be a little magic this race. And I was really watching FP3 with great interest because, you know, during FP3, there was this debate, will these conditions carry on into qualifying? And we kind of got the sense that by the end of FP3, qualifying was going to be in the wet. And... It was cool seeing in FP3, too, the Alonzos, the Vezels up there mastering the wet. And when I was thinking about qualifying, I was like, well, we have a shot, really, to see maybe Alonzo Vettel, maybe Hamilton. He's always good on the wet. Near the front, we could see the battle of the champions right off the bat. And qualifying did deliver. A shame for Aston Martin, though, because... I really don't get what they... I guess it was something with the tire pressures, but it was just really a shame that they didn't hook up the setup for qualifying because they looked good in FP3, and Sebastian Vettel looked really great in FP3 too. And it was just disappointing that in the end, he didn't qualify so well. But speaking of old champions, how about the soon-to-be 41-year-old Fernando Alonso wheeling that thing around in the wet weather and qualifying, getting into Q3, getting into second place, challenging Max Verstappen for the pole. And, you know, qualifying, if anything, was probably one of the best parts of this weekend because 
we had ourselves set up for an interesting race start, no matter what, because of the way qualifying went down. I mean, when you look at the finishes that we had for Q3, it was cool because not only did we have Fernando Alonso starting in second, but we had Lewis Hamilton with a great qualifying effort, a really needed a good qualifying effort in fourth. We had the two Haas drivers, which I'll get to in a second, in fifth and sixth. Daniel Ricciardo breaking the top 10. And one of my favorite drivers this year, and I've been talking about him since Bahrain, even I think maybe since before Bahrain, don't hold me to that, is Zhou Guan Yu, who, I mean, I'm going to go off on him later in a good way, but Zhou Guan Yu qualifying 10th. That man, I'm telling you, some unlocked potential there. So, yeah, really going into the race, there was a lot of hype for this start. And I was, it was funny because on Saturday, so I happened to go to a friend's house who is a big Formula One fan. You know, everybody else there wasn't really, but we were talking about the race and what could possibly happen with the start of this race. And I was really getting the feeling, I mean, listen, if you're thinking about a race start, if there's one person that could master a race start and challenge, I'm not saying you would challenge Max for the win, but if there was one guy that was going to be able to at least pass Max from the start and make him work, it was Fernando Alonso. And oh my God, I got so frustrated watching the start of that race. By the way, I don't know if I'm wrong or not. Maybe I missed it. I know... The TV direction was horrible, but did we get a lights out and away we go? Because I feel like I didn't hear it, and I know it was Father's Day, so we were celebrating my dad's Father's Day, and I was watching the race on my iPhone, and I was watching with great intent, but I watched the start, and I just don't remember hearing it. So maybe, if anybody can help me out there, maybe I heard it, maybe I didn't. I got to rewatch it to see if it happened, but if we missed it, that is a shame for TV direction, because Formula One TV direction this year has been stressful at times. But yeah, Fernando Alonso at that start, I really thought he was going to at least challenge Max or dive bomb into the first two turns, but he didn't. He dropped like a rock. And I was like, it was actually, my heart was like sinking a little for Fernando. I'm like, what is going on? I I did not expect it because, listen, that Alpine is a solid car. We've seen it be quick before. In a straight line, too, which is very helpful at Canada, having a car that's straight, that's um, fast in a straight line. And it just didn't happen with Fernando this time. And his race just went really sour. I felt like really quick. And, you know, there was some, I think there was a mechanical issue, a reliability issue, too, with the Alpine again. And there was some strategy setup mistakes made by Alpine, too. So, at least in regards to Fernando. So it was just disappointing with the hype and in the reverse the driver that got a great start and then ended up botching it too was Kevin Magnuson and that's really going to get me to one of the first teams that I really was disappointed for this weekend and definitely not just me I'm sure a lot of you guys were disappointed with what we saw with the Haas I mean Kevin Magnuson gets off to this great start and yet again when he doesn't have to he pushes it just a little too much Makes contact again with Lewis Hamilton, which is pretty funny because if I told you last year at the same point in time that we're going to see Kevin Magnuson in a Haas battling wheel to wheel with Lewis Hamilton for fourth or fifth, you probably would have thought I was on drugs. But (laughs) it was real and it's happened twice now this year and both times it's just screwed over Kevin Magnuson and you know it's... It's his fault. I mean, both times it was Kevin pushing the limit too much. 
And it's just frustrating because when you have Haas, this team that we just... You want to see the little team do well. You want to see the team that's struggling. You want to see that redemption. And it was just frustrating because he threw away his whole race. And I know, you know, he was a little uh, angry with the FIA because of the fact that, you know, they gave him the black and orange flag for the wing that was hanging off. And I know we saw that last year at Saudi Arabia, too, with Lewis Hamilton after the Max Verstappen, if you want to call it the brake check incident. But, I mean, still, it. I don't want to appease, not appease, I I'm, don't want to go against Kevin Magnuson here, but, you know, at the same part, same time, you got to be a little more measured, especially with the circumstance that team is in. Sometimes it's better to, you know, maybe back out and take that hit of losing a spot than costing your whole entire race, and Really, the only way Kevin Magnuson was going to get back into that race would have been, you know, a red flag where he would have had the chance to at least change tires, be back up on the grid and have a shot to fight and make some overtakes. But yeah, and then the other pain with Haas Mick, man, I mean, I really don't know what to say. It Mick was driving a great race. I think he was he did what he needed to do. He, he had relatively clean sessions. He qualified up on the grid. He was racing well. He wasn't risking it too much. He wasn't pushing the car. And a PU issue just cost him the race. And it was frustrating because, honestly, at first I thought he crashed again. Because I saw the car just, like, dart off to the side. And a part of me was kind of relieved that it wasn't an incident on mix accord. But another part of me really was hurting for the fact that he looked like he was at least having a shot to get towards the back end of the points. And... And just botched it. And, you know, it's unfortunate, but that that is the way things go. And like I was saying to somebody the other day, too, you know, in Formula One, you could be the hero, you could be the villain real quick. And the memories are quite short. So, yeah, unfortunately, whether it was Mick's fault or not, people are just going to see that he didn't get points. And they're, they're going to probably forget that it wasn't an incident of his own accord. And, you know, in the long term, people are going to remember the things that, he failed or messed up and I just I just want to see Mick with a good recovery race and I don't know what's going to happen with Haas I mean I'm a little nervous for that team because from what I last read their next upgrades aren't coming to Hungary which is a relatively long time and a lot of teams have made significant upgrades already so you know that's that is a long time between races for upgrades they've been delayed I think because of cost issues I mean we have Silverstone, we have Austria and France all before then. And I don't know, I feel like there are a few teams too, especially in that midfield, that might be able to figure some things out for Silverstone. I think I think a team that's right on the edge there is Aston Martin. I mean, even though they botched qualifying this week with the setup, we saw a great race still from at least Lance Stroll. Uh, you know, the pace wasn't quite there for Seb, but I feel like Aston Martin is on the border of hooking something up and I'm hoping at their home race or you know a race near their factory that they can hook it up back together and that actually brings me to the other team who has a home race coming up and that's Mercedes I mean hey Mercedes had themselves a great race weekend and I know there was everybody criticizing Hamilton earlier on when he was saying this car is basically crap but you know Lewis's race was solid and honestly I I was saying this also that 
it's good to see Lewis finishing on the podium, being happy. That is what we want to see in this sport. You know, it's great to see him back on that podium and and enjoying that podium, enjoying that third place finish because I think Mercedes are taking steps to go forward in the right direction. And, you know, it's good when we have Lewis doing well. And I know whether you love Lewis, whether you don't like Lewis, it's good to see the guys that we grew up watching that that are legends, right? Like, we love to see that Fernando Alonso on the podium. We want to see a Seb podium. We want to see a Lewis still fighting on the podium because he's not done yet. He's got some fight in him. And it's good to see. I think the sport needs that. And especially with the dominance Red Bull has had, of course, aided with some Ferrari reliability issues. But with the dominance Red Bull has had, we want to see these other teams in the mix. We want to see different winners. And we were promised that with these new regulation changes. But right now, it looks like the battles of old where we have two teams dominating. Maybe... I know I feel like every week I'm saying maybe Mercedes is going to creep in. Maybe we'll get a surprise race from an Alpine or a McLaren who are very track dependent. But I'm really hoping that we're going to see some of these teams as upgrades and the cost caps come into play. That we do see some of these teams come back and maybe snatch a surprise podium, a surprise victory. I want to see that. And that is why, in part, these regulations and cost caps were enacted. So... Mercedes, though, another consistent race. And it's amazing, too, how consistent George Russell has been this year. And I don't want to take credit away either from Lewis Hamilton's podium. Because, like I'm saying, that was a great podium run. But you got to be impressed with the job George is doing. I mean, you know, we were so used to calling him Mr. Saturday. And now everybody's calling him Mr. Sunday. And he's just consistent, which is a great characteristic for a driver. And even though it's third and fourth place finishes, eventually if that car gets better... Your thinking is that he will be able to turn those third and fourth place finishes into first and second place finishes. So, great job by Mercedes this weekend. Looking forward to seeing what they can do in Silverstone because Total Wolf had mentioned that Silverstone is a track that kind of plays into their setup and, you know, it's a smooth track. It should, they've seemed to mostly figure out the porpoising and now they have to work on their setup, making a less stiff setup that doesn't now create bouncing in the car so looking forward to seeing what's going to happen at silverstone uh but yeah so overall good race by mercedes the one team that was kind of irrelevant this race i mean just botching so many different things was mclaren though like i don't get what happened with mclaren they are such a weird team to me i I don't think I've seen a team that is either A, as track dependent, or B, just as inconsistent as McLaren can be. Because, you know, sometimes they look like they're the third or fourth best team on the grid. And then other times, they're one of the worst, one of the slowest. And they were pretty much irrelevant this race. I mean, I guess the big highlight was them messing up their double stack. And I think it was funny because someone asked Lando what happened at the pit stop. And Lando was basically like, well, we didn't have tires on the car and you can't race without four tires. So that's what happened. And, you know, you got to feel for him because of the teams and their organization, I mean, there's no denying that Mercedes and Red Bull have great organizations, great teams. To a lesser extent, maybe Ferrari. At times, Ferrari strikes me as disorganized or maybe not fully there. But 
McLaren on paper seems to have the right ingredients. I mean, they have a good driver lineup of Daniel Ricciardo and Lando Norris. They have a great CEO. They have a great uh, team principal, team boss, and Andres Seidel. So I, I just don't get why they haven't been able to deliver. And it's not like it's the Honda power unit days either where, you know, it's the engine that's down. They have the Mercedes power unit, which seems to be reliable, seems to be a good power unit. So I I just don't get why they're so inconsistent. And, And that's stressful for me. I mean, I wouldn't say stressful, but it's just bothersome to me that a team that should be better is just not performing at the level where... I thought they would be this year. I mean, I think a lot of us thought the same thing, too. I think we all had high expectations for McLaren. So relatively disappointing race for McLaren. And you got to feel for them because, you know, you want to see Lando get that. You want to see Lando get that good finish. You want to see those great finishes happen. But it is what it is. Not much we can control there with that. But um, going into that, another driver. Oh, my God. Alpha Tauri. Yuki. Yuki, you know, I thought we were done with these incidents with Yuki. And and Yuki uh, just managed to botch what was a decent race for him. I mean, the man was running ahead of Pierre Gasly. He makes a pit stop. And I don't know, he just went on a random side quest into the wall after getting out of the pit lane. I don't know if he was pushing it too hard. I know he was trying to, like, merge in and maybe get ahead of some of the traffic there, but... I mean, he just completely botched it. It was one of those Yuki errors of last year that I thought we were past. And man, I, you know, every time I want to get hyped for Yuki, he finds a way to just bring me back down. But hopefully, because let's get real, this year for Yuki has been a much better year. He's been a lot more consistent. He's been driving responsible. And I'm hoping this is a one-off error because it reminded me of so many of the mistakes he made last year. And you don't want to see him keep making those different mistakes. Uh, but, yeah, sad sad to see Yuki go. And then Pierre Gasly, man, was pretty incensed. He was not happy with the pace of that Alpha Tauri. I was listening to the radio calls after the race, and Pierre did not hold back. He said, listen, we have no pace everywhere. No, Nothing with braking, nothing with accelerating, nothing on the straights, nothing on the slow turns. He was just, I mean, Alpha Tauri is such a weird animal too. A lot of a lot of weird characteristics with the cars I feel this year. And like many of them, maybe with the exception of Red Bull and Ferrari, are so track dependent. And it's crazy. And I guess that's in part due to the regulations too. But I mean, it was just very interesting to see. But that brings me to a driver, speaking of... You know, rookie drivers or drivers making rookie mistakes. A driver that really hasn't this year. And in my opinion, is one of the best rookies we've had. Probably, arguably, since George Russell and Lando. Is Zhou Guanyu. And I've been on the Zhou Guanyu train since the beginning of this year. He is a talented driver. When you look at his F2 performances, his F3 performances. And he got a lot of crap in the beginning of the year when he was signed with Alfa Romeo for the fact that, and I get it because there were other drivers like Oscar Piastri out there. There was uh, Teo Porcher who were in it, who do deserve a chance at the top. But Zhou Guan Yu found his way and yes, he brought some money with him, but 
he is in no way a paid driver. He is not. You can't put Joe Guanyu at the same level of an Akita Mazepin or a, a. I don't even want to say like a Nick Latifi or a Lance Stroll. And Joe Guanyu has some talent, and and he's there. He has those sponsors because of the performances he has made. And yes, he's bringing sponsors from his home country which means a lot he's a good talented driver from his home country of china he's the first f1 driver to represent china full-time and you know what he's performing great and it was a shame what happened at baku he was running great in the points had a power unit issue this time in canada he came back had a solid q3 in the wet and you know what he drove a great race a consistent Race and Alfa Romeo this year, if there's a team that are doing things right, aside from when they have reliability issues, if there's a team that has another solid driver lineup, and I think it's the perfect mix of Valtteri and the rookie, it works. And I love what Zhou Guanyu is doing. And I think no one should question his place in F1 because I think he's proving himself. And if you watch his performances, he's doing everything a rookie should do. He hasn't really made too many dumb rookie mistakes. And I think one or two might have not even been on his own accord, the mistakes that he made. So, you know, Zhou Guan Yu, I'm on the hype train. And I'm excited to see what he does the rest of the season. And I don't know if he's going to get a chance with a top-tier team eventually, but... I want to see him do well. I want to see him keep scoring in the points because I think he's a massively, massively underrated driver. But, you know, during the race itself, we had a lot of interesting moments too in regards to like DRS. I think this race proved, right, especially with our battle between Carlos and Max Verstappen, DRS needs to stay in the sport realistically. We need to keep it in there because it definitely aids in the passing that we see. Without DRS... I don't think we have the battles that we have and the overtaking we have. Even at some of these tracks that are more or less built for overtaking, like Montreal, like Circuit de Gilles Villeneuve, I mean, I think we still need DRS. I know I'm not a big fan of that DRS train, though. That kind of drives me nuts. I think maybe we need to go to a modified system where kind of similar to what IndyCar uses, where we have like push to pass or something like that, where, you know, you can choose your own section for a limited amount of time to try and overtake a driver which i think would make defending a little bit more difficult and would make you know offensive overtakes a little more calculated a little more precise a little more um planned out so still though drs very useful i don't think we're gonna see it go away anytime soon even with these changes to the new regulations i don't think there's any reason to get rid of drs i know i think people either love DRS or hate DRS, and I'm not going to lie, I'm on the love it train. It It is very beneficial to watching great overtakes thanks to DRS happening. But overall, we had ourselves a great race. Uh, some other shout-outs to drivers, Charles Leclerc, driving a great race from the back, managing to finish fifth. I think Ferrari, yet again, kind of messed up that pit stop strategy, you know, kind of put him into a awkward spot where he was stuck behind Esteban Ocon for quite some time he had to be frustrated with that I mean and that again ties into you know having the better opportunities for overtaking and your thoughts on DRS for straight line speed things like that but it was just so hard for him to get past and 
I got to say, I really love that battle between Carlos Sainz and Max Verstappen. That was something, I mean, if you were not on the edge of your seat, were you watching the race? Because, so I was watching this outside as we were having a little Father's Day barbecue and I was standing up over my phone trying to watch the end of this race. Like, I was genuinely excited. I really thought, and you got to feel for Carlos Sainz, man. He's come so close so many different times. So far, the closest he's probably come was in his battle with Pierre Gasly. But, you know, it was just, you got to feel for the man. He was, I really thought that on one of those hairpin exits, I thought that Max Verstappen was just going to overdrive it a little bit and he was going to be, you know, close enough in DRS range to make a nice little lunge. But it never happened. And, you know, actually the opposite ended up happening where Carlos himself made a little mistake and, you know, you just feel bad, but in retrospect, thinking back to the race, solid race for Carlos. I think Carlos needed that confidence boost, especially after, you know, a lot of critiques about either, you know, his driving style after making some mistakes, ending up in the gravel in a few races, having some reliability issues like at Baku. You know, he definitely needed a good rebound race, and it was just a shame to see him so close. It was it reminded me of Monaco again, too, because he was just so close again in Monaco and just couldn't close it out. I think he was more frustrated in Monaco because of, you know, how he got held up where maybe he, you know, deserved the chance to win that race for Sergio Perez. But, yeah, Carlos signs so close yet so far yet again and just didn't close it out. But, you know, his time's going to come. He's he's too good of a driver. He's too talented. He's with a good team. He's going to find it. It's going to click. It's just a matter of time, and it's going to be this season. I don't know when. I don't know where, but I really feel like Carlos is going to get that one race win we've been waiting for for so long. It's going to happen. It's going to happen soon, and I hope it really does. I I really hope he gets that race win soon because it will be so well-deserved. I mean, this guy has gone toe-to-toe. With Max as a teammate, he went to Renault, he was with McLaren through some rough times and had some great performances, especially competing with Lando. Now he's at Ferrari, definitely proving his worth. So, yeah, I think I think it's only a matter of time before Carlos signs where it clicks and he finds a race win. He's It's going to happen. Just got to remain confident and he'll end up on that top step of the podium. And, you know, for Red Bull too, you got to wonder with this championship battle. So, you know... Red Bull and Max Verstappen pretty much, I don't want to call the championship over because the way the season has been, I will say we were spoiled last year with 2021, but the way this championship's been, it's been more of an ebb and flow kind of championship, not where last year was at your throat every race where you felt like Max and Lewis could come together. They were so close on pace that you thought, you know, at any moment, at any time, one race, the next, they could... Uh, pass each other, overtake each other for the championship battle, and it really fluctuated like that. This year, I feel like it's more of an ebb and flow thing. And, you know, for what it's worth, we had the reliability problems with Red Bull in the beginning of the season, where then Ferrari opened up a lead. Now we have, we hit the stride where Ferrari had some reliability issues. And the one thing in the back of my head, you know, when Red Bull's had these reliability issues, it hasn't been their engine per se. But they have had reliability issues as well and you have to wonder you got to be just a little concerned with Sergio Perez taking you know a reliability issue in a DNF this week you got to wonder 
is it all clear sailing for Red Bull? We're, we're still only barely a third of the way through the season. We're approaching the halfway point. You got to wonder, Red Bull claims they have a reliable car, but you just have to wonder, is it as cut and dry as we think it is? Is Max going to run away with this? I mean, my gut tells me yes, but in the unpredictable season I think we've had so far, I mean, really, I still don't feel like Ferrari's out of it completely, but they're going to need some luck. I think to quote Christian Horner, you know, they're going to need some they're going to need some help from the racing gods if they want to claw back in. But I don't want to call the championship battle over and done. But I mean, it's just a shame that Ferrari had those reliability issues and, you know, almost successfully, uh, successfully, successively at Spain and then, you know, at Baku, the Monaco pit stop fail, you know, just those little things. I wonder if we're going to go back to the calendar at the end of the year and say, well, you know, this is where Leclerc could have, instead of open up a lead, lost so many points. And, you know, I just want to see what's going to happen. I don't think Sergio is going to be able to challenge Max either. I mean, with such a big lead, what are the chances? Unless, again, of course, there are some DNFs or reliability issues. But I don't think anybody's going to play dirty per se. But, you know, Ferrari's going to need a little luck there. And I don't know what's bound to happen. But I'm excited for our next race. We have a week off. So we're going back to Silverstone, which, you know, last year was a crazy race. I wonder what the hype is going to be for Silverstone this year. I'm sure Max is going to be ready to, you know, <laughs> I think Max is going to be ready to uh, have a little more motivation, incentive to do well, especially after what happened last year. And, you know, you don't want to see anything like that ever again. And, you know, you don't want to see, you know, two drivers coming together at a high speed corner. So I'm kind of excited for Silverstone. It's one of my favorite tracks. I'm going to come back to you guys next week and just try to get you hyped for Silverstone. Try to get you your mind into thinking about what's going to happen this weekend. Not this weekend. Sorry. Next race weekend when we go to Silverstone. Get you hyped. Catch you up on some news. And I'll get back to you guys in about a week. Thanks for listening. Make sure you follow us at www.f1idiots.com. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at anamericanf1. Also follow us at f1idiots on Twitter as well. Thanks again for listening, guys. Hope you're hyped for Silverstone. We'll come back next week and talk about that race and getting prepared for that race and all the great news that I'm sure is going to happen in Formula 1 this race weekend because as I record this on Monday, I am sure there are going to be tons of news that happens over the next couple of weeks. So next couple of weeks, next couple of days. So thanks for listening, guys, and I'll talk to you later.